Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are next week uh, beginning a brand new series. Uh, and our title of that series is Don't Be an Ugly Christmas Sweater. And so that's the, that's, that's the series, and I'm excited to get into it. And so uh, this morning, uh, what I would like to do is spend some time just kind of preparing our hearts and minds for the coming uh, Christmas. And I believe that um, I know some people maybe dislike as early as some people start celebrating Christmas. Um, but I, I tell you, for the believer, uh, the two greatest holidays that we celebrate would be uh, Christmas and Easter. And there's just no greater time to really appreciate and honor all that Christ has done and is doing for us. And so uh, Christmas is, is a time of year that I believe is unique and special. And I believe that we can prepare our hearts and our minds for, for what Christmas means, much more than just some commercial meaning that maybe has been uh, propagated throughout our culture. We can look to the true meaning of Christmas. And so I want to spend this morning uh, just preparing our hearts and minds. And I love the music, already getting into Christmas music. Um, and there was a line in that song that I think is very applicable to our culture and our society today. Um, there's the line that says, Oh, hush all the noise and cease all the strife. Listen to the angel's song. Uh, man, if we could use a message this morning, and if our world, our country, our culture, even the church could use a song this morning, a message in song this morning, it's that. I think it's time that maybe as believers we hush some of the noise, we cease some of the strife, and we listen to what the angels declared over 2,000 years ago, that there is good news for all peoples, that Christ has come and so we want to celebrate that this morning. We want to celebrate that Christ has come and has brought eternal life to those that would place their faith and trust in Christ. And so this morning, we are excited you're with us. And to get us started, to get us on the right mindset for where we're going to go in Luke chapter 1. I know last week I asked you, what was your favorite uh, Thanksgiving Day side dish? And so hopefully you guys got to enjoy that, partake of that. Um, lots of great answers on that question. And this morning, in a similar fashion, I want to ask another question. And feel free to answer as well. Um, what is your favorite... Now, you can take a second and think this through. What is your favorite Christmas song? We asked this on Facebook and got some interesting responses. A lot of great uh, options were given there. And so I want to ask, what is your favorite Christmas song? Now... Now, if you're like me, you have your favorite Christmas song, like like cultural Christmas song, okay, traditional Christmas song, and then you've got your like favorite Christmas carol or favorite Christmas like church true story of Christmas song. Okay, I have two categories in my mind. Okay, I hate to break it to you, but Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, okay, that would not fall under true meaning of Christmas song. Okay, just throwing that out there. Okay, so I just want to hear somebody tell me your favorite Christmas song, not your carol, not like the true meaning of Christmas song, but does anyone have a, like a traditional Christmas song that when you hear this, it's Christmas, you know, it's Christmas. What would that be? Someone tell me. Yeah. Okay. Grandma got run over by the reindeer. Okay. So one of those heartfelt warming, you know, family songs, you're cutting up a piece of pie, just singing that in the kitchen. It's just wonderful. Okay. Just warms the heart, right? Mm. Grandma got run over by a reindeer, okay? But it is, it is a funny song, right? It's a funny song that we can sing. What else? Give me another, like, traditional Christmas song that you like. Home for the Holidays, okay? That's a good one. 
Okay, Silent Night. Okay, that's, uh, well, we'll take that one. That's more the Christmas Carol side, but a good one. Keith? Sleigh Ride. Yes. Okay. For me, that's like one of my top two. Okay, Sleigh Ride's up there. That's one of the ones when you hear it, you just, it just feels like Christmas, right? Uh, so anyone else? Traditional Christmas song. Yeah, Zach. Little Drummer Boy. Okay, that's another great one. Okay. Anyone? Uh, oh, go ahead, Connie. Come ring those bells, okay? Yeah, that's a good one. Absolutely, okay? How many of you guys are like already listening to the 24-hour Christmas music in the car? You've already got that on the radio. A couple of people, okay? It's good. It's all good, okay? Um, I would say my traditional Christmas one that I would like would be probably either a mix between Sleigh Ride and the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Like, that's why I had to, I had to learn that myself, that that's not a true story of Christmas song, but, but there's something about that. And the other one that would be in that top three and Rudolph and this one are kind of close. The original Grinch song. Um, I, I know it's silly, right? I know it's ridiculous. I love that song. It's so funny. Like it just, when you hear it, you're just like, it's Christmas. All right. How about Christmas carols? Like one of the ones that would be more like a, I hate to say it this way, but we distinguish it this way. The church kind of Christmas carol. So silent night was already mentioned. Great. Love that. I, I hate to burst your bubble but I have to almost always mention this. Did you ever think about that night and how silent it wasn't? Shepherds showing up in the middle of the night, like a ton of angels declaring in heaven that Christ has been born. The commotion in the town as these shepherds are going door to door telling everybody what they've heard. So I always find that song kind of a little ironic. It was a silent night in some regard, but man, it really was almost a very not silent night, you know, if you think about it, but I get the point of the song. Great song. Anyone else? Yes. Okay. Oh, holy nights. Absolutely. Give me some other carols that you just love. Some Christmas carols. What's that? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yep. Absolutely. Any other ones? Go tell it on the mountain, right? That one. I don't know why. I always think of like, like junior church or Sunday school. I think of kids singing that like at our old building, when I first started going to church here when I was 16, uh, we were a, a fair amount smaller then. And I remember our, our Christmas program. Okay, so our big Christmas play production. I don't know if uh, Pastor Keith and Renee remember these uh, beautiful productions. But, but basically what happened is the kids would get on the stage, right? And then they would just get a microphone. You ever see these? Aren't these great? And then the kid would just say something and then pass the mic and say something. And then they would all sing a Christmas song. And then they'd take the mic and they'd pass it down, right? While the Sunday school teacher's over here trying to coach them up what to say. They've practiced it for months, but they're like, no, Billy, say this. This is what you say, Billy. Okay. I remember that. I remember singing those songs. Awesome memories. Awesome memories, right? I just always think it's funny that the kids just get in a line and just read the scriptures. And they always put the microphone way too close to their face. You know, it's always great. Okay. Love it. Okay. Anyone else? Christmas Carol, your favorite Christmas Carol. Yes. I was hoping somebody would say that one. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? It's a beautiful song. And I love that song because it just kind of displays what that moment would have been like, right? Just that, that moment that just appeared on the scene and began to declare the truth that Christ has come. And so lots of great choices here, all, all great Christmas music, right? We love this time of year. And so for me, if I had to pick a true Christmas song or a Christmas carol, there's so many to sing or to choose from. Mine would be Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That would be one of them. And then the other one would be Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. That's another one that I've always loved. But there's so many great Christmas songs. And so what I want to do this morning is to get our hearts and minds continuing in this idea. Uh, I want to go to Luke chapter 1. 
And I want to look at uh, one of the first Christmas songs. One of the first Christmas songs that we read about. And we all have these favorite Christmas songs. We all have these songs that we play. Um, it's always cool when you're putting up the tree. Um, we have an a Alexa. And so, like, it was cool. We were just like, Alexa, play traditional Christmas music. And boom, started playing. And we're putting up the tree. And it was great. A couple songs we had to skip over, like that one by Mariah Carey we won't talk about. Um, I don't even know why that's in the rotation, but we skip over that one pretty quick. And there's a couple other ones that we skip over. But uh, it's always great to have that music going. So let's look at one of the first Christmas songs and see how God has moved even at before the birth of Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 68. And we're just going to read a, a couple of verses here. And we're really going to read all the way through the end of verse 80. Um, you know what? Let's just go ahead and read. We'll read the whole section and then we'll break it down. That's what we'll do. So chapter 1, verse 68. Some of your uh, Bibles may have above 68 the song of Zacharias. Okay, that, that's one of the ways we describe this portion of Scripture. Uh, some of your Bibles may even show throughout Luke chapter 1 other portions that say the song of Elizabeth, the song of Mary, and so on. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our fathers, Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of the enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Though their tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts to the day of his showing unto Israel. Now, this is not speaking the child here is who? It's not Christ, but who? John the Baptist. Now, we say this is one of the first Christmas songs. And you might say, well, it seems kind of, it's not even, Christ is even born yet. But I, I want to talk about what is in this song that I believe is directly connected to the birth and coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe that while it pre see or while it comes before Christmas, I believe the truth of it carries through Christmas until today. And so let's pray. I know Pastor Greg already prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, as we open your word and read from it, we pray that we would be, that we'd be encouraged, we'd be challenged, convicted, and stirred, that our affections would be for you above everything else, that our hearts and minds would desire to hear what you have for us, that we would desire to know in a truer sense what this time of year is all about. I pray you'd prepare our hearts and minds Lord, there's some in this room already that the stress, the anxiety, the tension, all of it is already starting to mount. Uh, trying to get the perfect gift, trying to get this or that on sale, trying to get this taken care of, plan this and prepare for that. Father, I pray that all those worries would just melt away. And that we would realize that our focus is not on the stuff of the season, 
It's not on the dinners, although that's great. Our eyes are fixed on the Savior of the season, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts and minds for all that you have for us today. Thank you for this time of worship we've already experienced. And I pray we continue to worship you and to lift you up as we look forward to what you have for us. Lead now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke's chapter, in Luke chapters 1 and 2, uh, there are actually five Christmas songs or praises, is what they're called, that are given before and after the birth of Christ. To be honest, as I've already said, nothing gets us more in the Christmas spirit than the music of the season. Music is an amazing way of sharing the depth of our emotion in an impactful way. That's why I love that we read these sections of Scripture. They're called songs or times of praise. Uh, When you read the book of Psalms, um, or as our president-elect maybe called them, the book of Palms. But anyway, we won't go there. Um, When you think about that, it's just a time of beautiful reflection and music. Uh, The stanzas of the Psalms, or even in some of the Old Testament Literature, the the words of God are written in a way that it flows more like a song than it does a Bible book or a book in the Bible. Like, it's amazing to see how God communicates through music. A wise man once said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. That's Elf, by the way, in case you're wondering what wise man I'm quoting. That's the movie Elf. But there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? I mean, man, when you hear Christmas music, you just, especially as a follower of Christ, you can't help but feel joy. Now, I know this year, as Pastor Greg alluded to, is going to be different, has been different. Maybe you're here this morning and Christmas is not a pleasant idea for you this year because of whatever you're going through. Maybe you're here physically with us worshiping or maybe you're watching online and you would attest to that. You would say, I just don't see much joy in Christmas this year. We're going to get to the end of this and hopefully you'll be encouraged to know that just because you don't see the circumstances as being joyful, I pray that you would know that the meaning of Christmas will always bring joy. So we talked about what your favorite Christmas song, favorite Christmas carol is. The next question we have to ask, and this is just for you to think about, what would your Christmas song be? What would your Christmas song be? Not what's your favorite song someone else wrote, not what's your favorite song that you like to sing at church, but what is your Christmas song? What song would you sing? I want to look at the song of Zacharias and see some keys that we can gain as we consider our own Christmas song, as we desire to communicate our own Christmas song to those around us this holiday season. So the first thing we have to note is Zacharias' song is a song of praise. Look at verses 68 again through 75. You're going to see it's a song of praise. And I believe our Christmas song must be at its heart and at its core, a song of praise. Verse 68, and I know we just read all this, but I want to read it again. The word of God, I believe, is what we came to hear this morning. So let's read it together. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Kind of interesting note. Uh, Zacharias is saying that since the world began, there's been someone that spoke on behalf of God. Which is amazing to think about that God has never left us without someone to speak on behalf of him to us. That we would know him. goes on to say this in verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all that hate us, 
to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. You see, Zacharias, following the birth of his son, John, began to praise. In verse 67, we see that he was full of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. This is a pre-church filling and was showing that God was speaking through and with Zacharias in this time of praise. But I want you to note some keys here in this song of praise. He speaks in the past tense. Do you notice that? He speaks in the past tense. Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. You see, Jesus is not born yet. But yet, Zacharias is declaring God has already done this. He's already redeemed us. He's already visited us. Now, that takes a lot of faith to believe that you haven't even seen it, but you believe God has done it and will do it. He's putting faith and confidence in the words of God, not just the words of the angel that came to him and told him about his son, but the words of all the prophets, he says. He says, God is fulfilling this promise that he made to our fathers, and he goes all the way back to Abraham. I mean, in this one moment, Zacharias, who serves as a priest in the temple, is connecting this moment all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And he's saying all that God has promised, all that God has said he would do, he is doing and will fulfill that promise, which is amazing because that's not a short period of time he's covering. But he's saying, listen, from the very beginning to Abraham to now, God is doing what God promised he would do. I believe we need to remind ourselves that just because we haven't seen God fulfill that promise doesn't mean God isn't fulfilling that promise. That God is working in our situation and in our lives. That while we don't always see what God is doing, we put faith and trust in him and in his word to say, no, God, I believe I don't have to see it. Because you are the God that fulfills your promises. Now, this is different than the early moments we see Zacharias. If you remember, he's in the temple. The angel comes, right? He doesn't believe fully right away. He loses his ability to speak. And because he loses his ability to speak, from that moment until the moment John is born, he can't say anything. He's writing things down. He's trying to communicate that way. And I'm amazed at the transition that takes place in his life. When his faith, that he kind of questioned in the beginning, goes through, becomes sight when he sees his son is born. And the first thing he does when he opens his mouth is he begins to praise God. The first words he says as he can speak again is to praise and glorify God. You see, the word visited here means to go and see the poor and afflicted, the sick, to look upon them in order to help them or benefit them. And let that sink in for just a moment. When you see this here, when it says the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That word visited there is the idea of going to see the poor and the afflicted the sick, to look upon them in order to help them or to benefit them, to have care for them. To care for them. Man, when you think about somebody who's poor or sick, do you think of someone that can take care of themselves? 
Do you think of somebody who's self-sufficient, who kind of runs the show, who does what they want, who kind of takes care of themselves? I don't really need anybody. No, you think of somebody who, who needs someone to come alongside and help them up, to serve them, to minister to them. And Zechariah says, this is what God has done. This is what God is doing. This is what God is going to do in the birth of Christ, of the Messiah. And if we're being honest, is there a better way to describe what Jesus did when he came to this world? I mean, if you had to summarize what Christ did when he came to this world, he came to the poor. Did he not? Are are we rich in the spirit or are we poor in the spirit? Man, Matthew 5 says we are bankrupt. We have nothing to offer in the spiritual sense. We don't have any righteousness of our own to offer. We are poor. Are we healthy or sick, spiritually speaking? We're, by the way, we're beyond sick. We're so sick, we're dead. Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We're like Lazarus laying in the tomb. We can do all we want to try and be good and be religious, but we're not coming out of that tomb without the voice of God speaking over us. See, we are the spiritually poor. We are the spiritually sick. We are the spiritually dead. And we have nothing to offer, but he visited us. He came, not because he had to come, but because he chose to come out of his great love for us. Because he desired to please the Father and glorify God. See, I love this moment in this song because Zacharias is not speaking, Lord, I hope you do this. He's saying, Lord, I know you have done this and will do this. Zacharias is also remembering all that God did for them and all that he is doing for them. Verses 74 and 75, we read it already. But I want to note these couple things again. Look at verse 74 again. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without, what's that word? Man, that God is going to deliver us out of the hands of our enemies that we might serve him without fear. Goes on to say in verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Man, what is the only way that I can serve God without fear? To be holy and righteous. You see, Zacharias is saying, not only has God done these things, God is going to do this. He's going to deliver us. And he's going to give us the opportunity to serve him without fear. Why are we able to serve him without fear? Because we are righteous in Christ. It's not become righteous to serve him, then we have no fear. It's we are made righteous in Christ, therefore we can serve him without fear. Remember, Zacharias is talking as a priest in the temple. He's talking as one that would have to go through purification, would have to really honestly evaluate his heart and mind before he went before God and served in the temple. And he is saying, listen, we don't have to live in fear any longer. We don't have to worry, am I righteous enough? Am I holy enough? Did I do the sacrifices enough? Did I do this right? No, 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 no. We are delivered from our enemies. So praise God, he delivers us from our enemies. And we are able to serve God without Fear, because why we are made righteous in Christ. It's not we become righteous to serve. We are righteous through Christ to serve without fear. You see, this song at its heart and at its core is a song of praise. Man, just when you read this and he reminds himself of all that God is doing. Can I, can I encourage you with something this morning? As you sit down and I encourage you to do this this week. I'm not asking you to write out the lyrics and write out the music 
and the melodies or whatever. I mean, if you're musically gifted and want to do that, have at it. But as you contemplate like your own song, your own Christmas song, what am I singing to others on behalf of God and my relationship with him? Is it at its heart and at its core a song of praise? Is, is the whole point of the song directed towards him and not towards me? Now, in directing our song to him and praising him, we see the blessings that he's giving to us. But is at its core, is it really a song of praise? Is it a song elevating the person and work of Christ? Is it to glorify God above all things? Not only is his song a song of praise, it's also a song of preparation. A song of preparation. Look at verse 76 again. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. It's a song of praise, elevating who God is, who God has been. Notice as well that God doesn't change from Abraham to Zacharias. Now, God changes how he interacts with mankind, but God never changes. The promise he made to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, the covenant he sealed with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he's fulfilling all the way here in Luke chapter 1. And which is important to note this, by the way, and I, I want to make a side note of this, but it's important. It matters that we know God is faithful to fulfill past promises. Because the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest, he sat with his disciples and had a meal. What do we call this meal the, the last supper that took place during the Passover. And as he's having this meal with his disciples, he stands from the table there and he, he picks up the bread and he makes a note of the bread and he picks up the, the drink and he makes a note of the drink and he says, this is a new covenant, right? He says, this body is, or this bread is like my body, which is broken for you. This drink is like my blood, which will be spilled out and poured out for you. See, he's making a promise to the people. He's saying, in me, you will have eternal life. I'm making a promise to you, a covenant. It matters that we know God is faithful with his past promises because we have to know that he will fulfill his current promise to you and I of eternal life. If he kept his previous promises and he does not change, then should we sit in fear and wonder, will I really, will I really see him one day? Am I really saved for eternity? Has he really forgiven me of all my sin? See, we can have not just a hope, but a guarantee that he will fulfill his promises to us. We see here in verse 76, a song of preparation. John here is called the prophet of the highest. We mentioned this in our men's Bible studies. We kind of studied John the Baptist as a character study there, as one of the unlikely heroes of the Bible. But this prophet, John, is actually the last Old Testament prophet. We always put John the Baptist, which rightfully so he's in the New Testament, obviously. But John's ministry is actually as an Old Testament prophet. He's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And some of the things he does that is so weird, right, and so just kind of out of place, doesn't make sense when you read the New Testament to some degree. But man, when you put John with the Old Testament saints and our prophets, you go, oh, this kind of fits a little better some of the things that he does and the way in which he carries himself. We have all heard of the great John the Baptist. Just a little bit of a side note here as well. He wasn't Baptist, okay? I told that to somebody and they were like, what are you talking about? It's John the Baptist. 
It's like, well, he wasn't really Baptist. The denomination didn't exist. He baptized. Therefore, he got the name Baptist, okay? Uh, But so we know he wasn't really Baptist per se, but he did baptize people. He had a huge task of preparing the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. Have you ever stopped to think about that for a second? Before he was born, as he's born, as he's growing up, he has been told he is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He is the forerunner of the Messiah. That he will be the one that would declare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord. And you know what? I bet you there was times where John maybe felt a little overwhelmed by this. Would you feel a little overwhelmed? That's your ministry. You've heard the stories about what your dad went through, all the things that took place at your birth, all the things you've seen God do in your life, and you now have this purpose. But I I don't want to miss that he did what he was purposed to do. I don't want to miss that he had a design purpose for his life, and he followed it. And God blessed him for it. Did everything go perfect in John's life? Let's fast forward to the end of the story. How does John leave this world? He was beheaded after being arrested and put in prison. But he did what God called him to do. I mean, what does Jesus say in the eulogy of John the Baptist? There's no greater prophet. There's no one greater than John. And yet he died as a martyr, being beheaded by an evil ruler who did wrong and was called out by it. See, I want to note this because I think we we think if I do what God wants me to do, man, everything will be perfect all the time. Like, like everything will be great. I'll always have money in the bank. I'll always be healthy. I'll always have this. I'll always have all my wants met if I do what God's called me to do. And whenever I hear that message preached, I have to stop and pause and say that works in America. That works in the UK. That doesn't work in Iran and Iraq and Israel. It doesn't work in countries where people have literally nothing and yet fulfilling the purposes of God for their lives. And he did what he purposed and was purposed to do. Some believe John was of a group called the Zealots. This was a a sect of Jews similar to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes. This would mean that he would have lived a separated life away from the invading Hellenistic cultural influence and the Roman influence, which the Pharisees embraced wholeheartedly so they could keep control and power. This is why the Bible makes a note that he lived in the desert. He lived out in the wilderness. He was not in the cultural uh, kind of influenced cities that other religious groups would have been a part of. John lived a separated, holy, dedicated life to God. He had one purpose, and he followed it. He said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He had a a preparation in his birth, and he lived that purpose before God. So let me ask you again. Not only is your song a song of praise, but is it a song of preparation? Are you asking God to open doors of opportunity, not years from now, not six months from now, not when COVID's gone, not when this is done or that's done, but are you asking God, God, prepare my heart and mind for the purpose you've given me that tomorrow, that today, when you give me that opportunity, I'll I'll open my mouth and I'll speak the words of Christ and I will declare as John did, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. 
that I'll prepare my heart and mind today for the opportunities that are coming ahead. And you might say, well, that'd be great. I just don't know what my purpose is. You know, one of the number one questions people ask is, what's God's will for my life? I understand what people mean. What are they asking when they say that? What specific will, right? Like what specific job? What specific ministry? What specific thing am I supposed to do? But here's the thing. When you start to follow the general will of God for your life, God will open your eyes to the specific will. And that may even change at times. What is the general will of God for the believer, for us as followers of Christ? Well, it's pretty simple. To know him, to get into his word, to study God's word that we could grow in a relationship with him, to humble ourselves under his mighty hand that we might serve him and honor him as a dad, as a mom, as a grandma, as a grandpa, as an employee, as an employer, whatever it is, as a kid that goes to school. Honestly, you want to know one of the ways to any of the teens or kids that are in here, you want to know one of the greatest ways to make an impact in your school, in your area of influence, be respectful, be kind, be gracious, be obedient, And you will see amazing things happen as your parents, grandparents, teachers, loved ones go, man, something's different about them. But don't do it so you can get what you want. Do it because you want to have an opportunity to say, but this is who God is for me. We all have a purpose to declare Christ, not only to know him and to live in a way that honors him and how we talk and interact with others, but to make him known. You might say, well, I don't know God's will for my life. Here's God's will for your life. You ready? Spend time in prayer this week. Spend time in his word and tell someone about Jesus and you'll be fulfilling the will of God for your life. Ah, it can't be that easy. No, it is really that easy. That's the whole point. That's what Zechariah said. Because of Christ, we serve him without fear. We just go serve. We serve in church. We serve out of church. We take a meal to somebody. We serve somebody in need. When the snow comes, which I guess it's supposed to come sooner or later because it's Michigan, it'll be 50 today, negative 17 Thursday with 10 feet of snow. Because Michigan. Hashtag pure Michigan, okay? What happens when that kind of weather comes? Man, grab a shovel. Some of you are like, a shovel? I got a snowblower or a plow. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm taking care of. You ever think about this when we get bad snow? Grab a shovel and just go, if you live in a neighborhood, just go walk around your neighborhood. Hey, I got an hour and a half that I can invest in someone's life. Can I shovel your sidewalk for you? You see your neighbor has a driveway that's a little bit longer. You've got a plow. They don't have one. You see him out there shoveling. Hey, can I just plow this for you? Here's one. Go ahead and plow it and don't even tell them. I'm amazed in our culture today. We love to do things for people as long as we get recognized for it. Here's me taking a selfie of working at a homeless shelter. I don't know. How do you do that? I don't know what you do when you do selfies anymore. I don't know. Okay. I'm not a selfie taker. Okay. It's not what I do. Are selfie sticks still a thing? They shouldn't be, but are they? Are those still a thing? Our culture. Okay. What's that? I'm getting old. I don't know what's happening, Lynn. It's, it's getting crazy. Man, just serve someone and just let the knowledge that you pleased your heavenly father be sufficient. I can tell you somebody that's been blessed by great neighbors at times. That you look out, you see somebody just plowing my driveway. And my neighbor on the one side, I knew it was after the second or third time because I noticed the same truck was plowing theirs. I remember I went over and I was like, man, you didn't have to do that. Can I give you some money to give that? Because it was a different guy. He just had that guy do it. 
He came over with his four-wheeler a couple times with his plow and was plowing me out as I was shoveling snow. Offered him gas. Of course, he said no. He said, quote, I just like to play on the four-wheeler, so this gives me more opportunity. Man, that's what, it, it blows me away, the little things we can do. Now, if you have opportunity to introduce Christ into someone's life by telling them, hey, I want to be a blessing to you. This is just what God has led me to do. Man, do it, of course. But the point is, we don't do it so we get recognized, right? And we do it so that he gets recognized and he is glorified. So let me ask you, is your song a song of praise and a song of preparation? Are you preparing your heart for what this week has ahead? Finally, again, as we've kind of alluded to, song of praise, song of preparation, and a song of purpose. A song of purpose, kind of to wrap it all up. And we kind of touched on some of this already, but a song of purpose. Look at verses 77 through 80. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. There's that word again. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts to the day of his showing unto Israel. He grew up in the wilderness basically until the day that he appeared and began baptizing and preaching. Which if you ever want to know what kind of message did John the Baptist preach, it's, it wasn't a cozy heartfelt message. It was one of real honest truth. One of my favorite lines from a message of John the Baptist was he tells the religious, the ax is already at the base of the tree. You might want to repent. That's a powerful statement. God is chopping down this tree, Israel. Hey, and the ax is at the base of the tree. Time's running short. You might want to repent. Man, do we have that kind of urgency? Do we have that kind of passion in our purpose? In preparing the way, John would have specific ways of showing the coming gospel of Christ. Some things that are identified here is to give knowledge of salvation. What is the knowledge of salvation? By the remission of sins. This word knowledge here is the idea of a conscious decision given to us by his mercy. God in his great mercy has given us the ability to know and to receive truth that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that we can repent from our sins and find eternal life, which leads to the next phrase we see, to give light, to give light to them who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Man, that's our culture. That's our world today. Those that don't know Christ, they're in darkness. They're sitting in darkness spiritually. They don't have lights and they're in the shadow of the valley of death. They're going to die. They're in darkness. They don't know. They can't see. And we can give them light. And what does that light make them aware of? It allows us to guide them into the way of peace or salvation. This world is in darkness and people are walking in the shadow of death and we can give them the light. The word light means to appear or give light. You can write it down. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 is a reference of this idea. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. We can make known the way of salvation, the true way of peace. If there's one thing people are looking for today, it's peace. It's a knowledge that when things aren't okay, they're going to be okay. And I love that God gives us that in his word. 
The last phrase here we want to look at in his understanding of purpose, not just that he gave knowledge of salvation, he gave light to those who sat in darkness. It also says he waxed or grew strong in the spirit. Verse 80, he waxed strong. That phrase waxed means to just kind of to grow, to, to get further along, to grow in something. And that's why, to be honest, people came to see what was going on. I mean, why did so many people go out in the middle of the wilderness to see this guy just preaching and baptizing people? What was the draw? What was the reason? Because he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit and he was preaching truth. It is the Spirit of God that draws people to Christ. But the reality is the Spirit needs to use you and I. We need to be filled with the Spirit when we receive Christ, we are given the Spirit of God in fullness. We have been indwelt, the, the word is, or the theological word is, to be filled with the Spirit, to be sealed with the Spirit, to know that we have eternal security. And then as we're followers of Christ, as we're growing in Christ, we are being filled with the Spirit. And I always describe it this way. It's not so much the Spirit, or we are getting more of the Spirit. It's the Spirit is getting more of us. That we're surrendering more and more of our hearts and minds and desires and interests and hobbies and time and finances to the things that God would have us give ourselves to. And as that's happening, guess what? He is going to use us to draw others to Christ. In our words and in our actions and in how we live our lives, we can draw people to Christ. Now, what's the reality with that? That's not always how it works, is it? If we're being honest, there are times we blow it. We mess up. We sin in some way. We aren't really diving into the word of God like we should. We aren't doing what God has called us to do. We're not living our purpose. So what do we do? Well, since we have righteousness in Christ with no fear, I don't need to fear going to the Father and saying, I'm sorry, would you forgive me of this? Restore me to where I need to be so I would live my purpose for you. But when you listen to the enemy or the lies of this world or the lies of our flesh, when we fall, we fall in somewhere, we fall away in somewhere, we aren't where we should be and we're not living our purpose, fear rises up inside of us. And there's these whispers, well, God can't use you. God doesn't want to use you. You're already fallen. You're not perfect. You can't be used. And we stop and go, no, no, no. Because he's visited us and redeemed us and delivered me from my enemies, I don't have fear because I'm righteous in Christ. I don't need to fear my father anymore. I will go to him, confess my sin, be restored, find his grace, be made new again, and then live my purpose for him. It is the spirit of God that draws, but the spirit of God is looking for willing vessels to use to draw people to Christ. And so my question to you is this, are you singing a song of purpose? Is it a song of praise? Is it a song of preparation? And is it a song of purpose saying, I will do what God has called me to do. Am I making known the way of salvation to those in my area of influence or in my life? Am I giving light to those who are in darkness or am I just beating them down because they're in darkness? Am I showing a way of salvation and peace or am I just pointing at those in the darkness and saying, why don't you get better? Why don't you do better? Why don't you make better choices? Why don't you stop sinning as they sit in darkness with no knowledge of the light? Or do I make known because God has made known to us through the working of his Holy Spirit and the word of God, this is the way of salvation. Now here's the catch though. How do I give light to those sitting in darkness? 
I have to go into the darkness. I have to go where they are. And I fear for so long churches have kept all the light in one space. We've kept all the light bunched up in church. And then we go out into the world in our area of influence, our job, our homes, if there's somebody in our home doesn't know Christ, and we take that light and we're like, well, who am I? Well, I don't want to offend anyone. Well, I don't want to make them upset with me. Well, I'm not really supposed to say that. No, we go to those who are in darkness and we take the light of Christ to them unapologetically. Now, we're not a jerk for Jesus. We go in grace. We go humbly. Man, Galatians chapter 6 If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Galatians 6. We go humbly because Paul says there, by the grace of God, go I. I could be there tomorrow in that same ditch of sin. So we go humbly with the light of Christ. Jesus, simply put, he is our Christmas song. We praise him. We ask him to help prepare us that we may make him known. And then we go out and we live that purpose. So our Christmas song, I asked you, what is your Christmas song? Well, if you know Christ, your Christmas song at its core is a song about Christ. All the carols are great and wonderful, but the sweetest name that we could ever sing is the name of Jesus. We are preparing the way. We can share the knowledge and light of the gospel with this world. And what a privilege we have to do that. And what an amazing privilege. We get to take that message to others this Christmas season. So will you sing your Christmas song? Will you go out and sing this song this week, even today? But as I said before, as you consider your song, many are struggling and hurting. And maybe you think your song isn't even worth singing. Who'd want to hear that? (laughs) There's not much joy. There's not much great circumstances. It's It's just kind of where I'm at. Who wants to hear that? If I can encourage you with the reality that not only is God aware of what you are going through and what you have gone through, he desires to fill you and pour his mercy upon you. You can turn and receive his grace and his mercy. If you find yourself in a sin situation, you can be forgiven today by just turning to him, repenting of that sin and asking him to redeem you if you don't know Christ. If you know Christ and you're in sin, you can turn from that sin and say, God, would you forgive me for this? Remind me of your goodness and grace and restore me to my true position in Christ. But if you're here and you're a follower of Christ and you're just going through some stuff and you're just like, I just don't know even know how to put it into words. I mean, you know, one of the greatest songs that we can sing is a song of brokenness in the midst of Christ and his peace. That when I'm broken and undone, I can still declare, but I know my Savior loves me and I know I know that he is with me. And that's a song that needs to be sung in this culture and in this world today. We can be broken by our circumstances and our situation, but we can still stand and sing joyfully. I know my Savior lives and I know he died for me. I know he redeemed me. So will you let the Lord give you that song this morning? That would be a song of praise, a song of preparation, and a song of purpose. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? as we take some time for our invitation this morning. As you bow right there in your seats. I'm going to ask that you would just allow God to speak to your heart and mind. That whatever you're going through, 
that he would give you that song to sing. That it would be a song of praise. That it would be a song of preparation. That we would say, Lord, I'm going to lift you up in my life. I'm going to lift you up in all that I'm going through. Lord, I'm going to ask that you would help me to have an open heart and mind to what you're doing in and around my life. That I would look for the opportunities. And then, Lord, I'm going to sing a song of purpose. I'm going to praise you because you've given me opportunity and I'm going to live in that purpose. That I'm going to desire to make the knowledge of salvation known and give light to those in the darkness. Not that I would be glorified, but that you would be glorified. That you would set them free. That they would be delivered from their enemies and they'd be able to serve and come before you in a relationship, not in fear, but in the righteousness through Christ. Help us to make a difference this week, Lord, for your glory and for your fame. Father, bless now this time of invitation. I pray that you'd help us to respond openly and honestly. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room right now that is in a sin situation, that, that they're a follower of Christ, but they've given into this sin and they feel like they're trapped. I pray they'd surrender that to you right now. They'd repent of it, turn from it, receive your grace, and ask you for the strength to move forward from that thing, keeping their eyes on you. Father, for the one or maybe more that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray they would know that it's not about going to church or being religious. It's not about getting baptized. It's about personally trusting Jesus Christ and receiving Christ as Savior. I pray if somebody here has not done that, that they would confess their sins right now, just between you and them in their heart, that they would just confess that they've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, that there's no one perfect, there's no one righteous, but they would believe that you died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again, that if they would call out to you, they can be saved, be given eternal life. Lord, I pray that we would know that if we refuse and reject your gospel, then our destination is sealed. It is a place called hell. Father, you don't send anyone there. We choose hell when we reject your gospel and choose our sin. And I pray, Father, if anyone here has not done that, has not made you the Savior of their life, that they would consider and ask you to open their heart and work in their heart and mind to convict them of their sin and open up the way of opportunity of righteousness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all that you're doing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation? This is an opportunity for you to respond. Maybe you want to come and bend a knee pray and respond to what God is doing. Maybe you want to pray and say, God, give me opportunity to live my purpose for your glory. Whatever God is doing, whatever you feel God is leading you to the decision you need to make, maybe you'd come and make that decision this morning.